thanks to Curex for its exclusive sponsorship of this episode. Curex is the best-selling insole in running stores, and for good reason. Curex insoles are highly customized and provide dynamic arch support. For 15% off, visit curex.us and use code AMR15. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined for the intro chit chat by Katie Snevis. Hello, Katie. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I am good. I'm good. We're doing something new with this episode. It's a the episode the the meat of the episode is a repeat from September 2019 with Ellison in the co-host chair. But I decided to freshen things up and have um, a you know July 2022 conversation. <laughs> Uh, with you to uh, make it seem a little uh, new, fresh. I think that's smart, right? That's uh, the mother way, mother runner way to do it. You gotta <laughs> improve old, older content. <laughs> or it's like serving leftovers, but you know, making a, a really special salad to go Ex- with. <laughs> exactly, and like, wow, thanks for cooking, and they have no idea. <laughs> My kids are so anti. Uh, leftovers. It just drives me nuts. You know, my kids um, are too, but we have a very firm policy in our house. Like what we serve is what you get. And Mm -hmm. if you don't like it, then you can have a big breakfast the next day. So they've they've like, you know, definitely come around to it. Cause I'm like, these are, you guys loved these meatballs two days ago, loved them. You said they were the best things ever. How in 48 hours can they be so disgusting? I don't understand. So after many years of arguing about it, they just eat it and smile. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta say, I love nothing better than opening up the fridge and seeing leftovers at lunchtime. I'm like, yes, totally. totally. I mean, you and I both work from home and it's just, and sometimes we have five minutes to eat in between meetings. Right. And Uh so the thought of going in there and having to make myself a salad or something just seems too cumbersome. So when I see delicious leftovers, I am thrilled. I'm so excited. So excited. So excited. I just made a new recipe, um, green curry with glazed tofu, uh, New York times cooking. And, uh, oh my gosh, I dare uh, to quote my dad. It was even better the next day. Really? Uh, Yeah. There, (laughs) yes, there are. I feel like I have a few recipes like that where they do because the flavors all melt together and Mm -hmm. they just have had time, some, some time to sit. They are, I agree. It can be delicious a couple days later. Yeah. Or maybe it was just the joy of being in my house alone and (laughs) having food be all ready for me right there. Could have been that. Exactly. It's the simple pleasures in life, (laughs) right? (laughs) Oh my gosh. So I had a funny thing happen to me. Um, I was going to say on the way to the Coliseum. No, uh, (laughs) yesterday. Um, So we got a lot going on in our house this week, including my younger daughter, Daphne is doing lifeguard training. Oh, that was the, I did that when I was younger. It's the best job ever. Yeah, that's It's so funny. Everybody says that, you know, like Dim's kids, lifeguard, Molly's kids, lifeguard. And all along, Molly's always been like, get your kids to get certified to do lifeguarding. It's the best. It is. It is the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, uh, all on her own, um, I had forwarded her uh, an email that showed a whole bunch of, you know, kind of job opportunities for uh, teens. Because despite what they say on NPR, it's not that easy for somebody under the age of 18 to find a job, at least here in Portland. Oh, interesting. I am surprised by that because I feel like everywhere, everywhere has for, you know, wanted 
Yeah, help wanted. Yeah, help no, wanted but science. but the little asterisks that I think we're all missing is must be eighteen or older. Oh, uh, that um, makes sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So she's been doing cat sitting. Um, yeah. So and there's no age there requirement for that. And, right. Uh, so anyway, so she registered for this. So it is um, four hours every morning for a week at a pool that is on the other side of the planet. I swear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, so anyway, so I schemed up that I was going to drop her off and then I would go play pickleball and then I would go to the pond that I love, my happy place to go swimming, then do a little bit. I had my computer, I would take my computer, do a little bit of work and then swing by and pick Daphne up because again, it's so far away, but it's, I mean, it's north of here, which is the same direction pickleball and swimming are. So sort of on the way. Yeah. So so anyway, so I had my, my, my swim bag, I had my pickleball bag, I had it all, all set out the night before, a la Dimity, as she has taught me over the years. <laughs> and so then, but then the next morning, it was kind of chaotic with trying to, you know, figure out details with her and with John going off to this dance intensive and all this stuff. And so I brought my pickleball court shoes indoors. I keep them outside now, brought them inside, put them on the kitchen island, and then proceeded to do a whole bunch of other stuff and then hopped in the car and drove Daphne, you know, all the way, all the way to the pool. And then I am two blocks, finally two blocks from the pickleball court. And I'm like, I'm wearing my stinking UFOs flip-flops. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, and my shoes are back in another state because pickleball right. and swimming is in Washington. And, you know, I had driven against tr rush hour traffic to get there. And I'm like, sure. there's no way. It would be easily it easily would have been 50 minutes round trip so and i'm like no i have everything timed out so um anyway so i'm like i'm gonna play barefoot <laughs> um well what i need to ask one question are pickleball shoes because for tennis which is what i play you have to have court shoes do you have to have court shoes or can you play in running shoes you could play in running shoes they, there's okay. there's no requirements i mean there's no um restrictions there's no sign up anywhere got it you know. okay um, just wanted so to yeah that. yeah 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 so um so anyway because i just decided flip-flops would be a bad idea i did not need to be totally. turning in an ankle or something no course, you know we play on pickle on a sorry tennis courts which are pretty smooth sure um, and you're not sprinting all around all yeah, that I, much i, I, I mean, play doubles i mean yes. you don't run all right. that much right so. exactly <laughs> <laughs> so i actually found it made me more um kind of uh strategic in my playing because i'm like okay now like i'm i'm gonna take three steps instead of maybe taking five and getting out of position or something i don't know yes. i was i was very economical in my movements so <laughs> so everybody was like oh my gosh you're playing barefoot sarah oh my gosh we need a picture of course no one took a picture um and uh a couple people did comment that i have a nice pedicure uh <laughs> you're like, like thank god i had one right could you imagine <laughs> oh i know it was the beginning of the season and your nails were all nasty from the winter time exactly so <laughs> um yeah so i had gotten a um nice pedicure uh in missoula while i was waiting for my eventually for my evening flight and uh so anyway so i only had to play one game that my my random partner and I almost won um, <laughs> and only had to play one game barefoot because then a woman who I'm kind of pals with Jennifer, who's tall, like I am showed up and I'm like, Jennifer, 
any chance you have some like spare shoes in your car? <laughs> she's like, um, she's like, well, what size do you wear? And, and I, you know, I told her 10, 10 to 11. And she was like, oh, you know, that's my size. Uh, I don't have any in the car, but I only live 10 blocks away. And so it turned out that her husband was coming over to play pickleball as well. So she called him, told him where the shoes were, told him to grab a pair of socks and she lent them. No, what are the chances of her being (laughs) there having the same size shoe? Cause no offense, but that's, you know, not an average size shoe for most women and being so close to there. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. I was so stoked. And then of course there are some people that, you know, wouldn't impose on people like that and ask to, you know, I mean, cause I, I don't want, I mean, I'm not friends with her. I I don't know her last name. I don't have her phone number. Right, Um, right, right, right. So, but you know, she was super nice and welcoming me back um, last weekend when I got back to the courts after being out for so long. And so anyway, so when I was telling Jack about it at dinner last night, he said, oh, that's such a West Coast thing to happen. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yes, but it was very East Coasty of me to ask if I could borrow them. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Because most West Coasters, definitely no Midwesterners would have asked, but your Connecticut came out and got it done and good for you. Then you got to play. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So it worked out, worked out quite well. So um, I thought that was very funny. So uh, I love it. Yes. So so uh, you have been um, at a newish for you sport. Is that right? Well, yes. So I have been on the golf course, which, mm. so my husband, Dan loves to play golf. Like if he, any chance he gets, he will be on a golf course. And uh-huh. so he all has always played since I've known him. I have three older brothers that are quite a bit older than I am. So when I was younger, I mean, like eight, nine years old, they were in high school and in college and they oh. would they love to play golf, love, love, love. And they're very good golfers. So they would take me out on the court or out on the course all the time. They were caddies at our local golf club. And so I've spent a lot of time on the golf course, but Mm -hmm. tennis was always my sport during the summer. So I was like, I just don't, I remember my, when I went to high school, the golf coach was like, you should play golf on our, on the ladies golf team. I'm like, I've never really even played before. So Uh anyways, the background is it's kind of in my blood, but I've never (laughs) wanted to play it. And then Dana and I have played over the years, but you know, golf is a time commitment. I mean, you're talking minimum two hours for nine holes and then Uh four hours for 18 holes and no I mean, I don't know. I do not have that kind of time with three kids. So fast forward a couple of years um, or several years as our kids are a little bit older and Dan's like, we should go out and play golf. So we've started to play golf a little bit and it Mm. has been really fun. Only nine holes. Cause after nine holes and I don't even play all the nine holes. Like (laughs) I will, you know, drive it. And then I'm like, Oh, I'll just pick it up. Cause I don't want to hit 10 strokes on one hole, but you know, if I'm having a good hole, then I will, then I will play through, but it's, it is pretty fun. I mean, you forget, I forgot that it's your outside, right? I mean, it's beautiful. You're on this course where it's so peaceful and Mm -hmm. lovely. And it's usually, I mean, I'm not going to go at four o'clock in the afternoon when it's hundred degrees here. So the weather's nice yeah. Sometimes you can have a beer while you're out there. So it is pretty fun. Um, it, it, I used to play golf in my twenties and okay. I just loved it. That was when I lived in San Francisco and yeah. oh, just loved it. It's such a, a enjoyable way to spend time with friends or loved ones, whatever, because you, you, like there's a lot of time to chat 
And yes. so it feels very social. I worked at Thrasher magazine a million years ago Thrasher. and I would play, play Love it. I would play Thrasher with my uh Thrasher colleagues and um there was imbibing of another kind, uh not beer on the course and I would just be like, "Oh, no thanks. No thanks." Uh <laughs> <laughs> Well, next time you should say yes, thank you because it is pretty fun to have um, you know, the, a cocktail, but it's a Saturday afternoon, but it is, it's just, it's a fun sport. And I mm-hmm. don't think that I will do it regularly ever. Cause again, I'd rather spend that time running or biking or playing tennis, but mm-hmm. you know, I have a little glimpse of us and the future of mm-hmm. Dan and I am like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. this could be fun to play with friends and, mm-hmm. you know, join ladies leagues or whatever it may be. So it's just, I just, we, I think AMR is so inspiring about getting people to try new sports or get mm-hmm. back into sports at whatever mm-hmm. age they are. And mm-hmm. I think that that's, you know, this is a good Testament that it it's never too late to t- kind of try something new and you okay. could actually become good at it if you wanted to play it a lot. So it was, it's been pretty fun. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's very, very fun. Yeah. 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 Now you can start to plan some trips, you know, like go visit your family and play on different courses. Yes, and, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. God, now I'm thinking. <laughs> I can smell the smoke from here. Totally. Uh, um, yeah. Jackson, uh, he's been playing more golf with his buddies and encouraging me to go out with them. And I'm like, I would really need to hit the driving range a lot because I just... I don't know. And also now with my back, I'm like, yeah, no, no, no. That maybe is a 2023 activity. Well, there you go. And I, I think, you know, you and I have talked about this, but Dan, my husband also has a bulging disc right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. how it compares to yours, but mm-hmm. it's crazy. He can't run, but he can play golf. Ironically, oh. a lot of golf and oh. he can walk and he can hike, but running is, is a little tender on his back still, but the, mm. um, the golf hasn't been that bad for him. So Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. 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 But I agree. Like, you know, because we are athletes, we want to go out there and be good at the sport right away. Well, we all know that that's not going to happen. So it is a little humility or humbling. I should say you get out there and you're like, Oh my gosh, I just hit another one in the water, but you kind of have to just have fun with it and look at it as an activity. Exactly. And also not feel too self-conscious that's always gets to me because totally. I'm like oh I'm holding up that group of guys behind us yes. and uh, yes uh, yeah so or particularly because then if you get paired like if you go out as a duo and you get paired with another couple right 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 exactly yeah. oh yeah I'd be like no thanks I'll just wait until <laughs> right. wait a couple hours until I can go by myself <laughs> right. oh no you go ahead you go ahead <laughs> yeah exactly no biggie oh my gosh All right. Well, Katie, thank you for joining me because after this break, uh, the episode from 2019 about runner's identity and how it impacts your life and health will kick off with Ellison co-hosting. So please stick around for that. This summer, take steps to better running with Curex. At running stores where folks can try on insoles, Curex is the most popular brand of insoles, meaning they feel the best. Curex Run Pro insoles are highly customized and provide dynamic arch support. If you've been in the market for insoles, you know, there are a lot of options and shopping for them can be confusing. Let me be of assistance. Insoles shouldn't be just cushioning and they shouldn't only be stiff like a custom orthotic. Curex delivers the best of both these options. Curex Run Pro insoles have flexible support with an ideal level of rigidity. They have a thin, low profile while still providing maximum support and comfort. Curex Run Pro insoles are available in three profiles, high, medium, and low. From my high arches and up into all my joints, my body is grateful I added Curex Run Pro insoles to my shoes. And since I'm such a true believer of Curex Run Pro insoles, I added Curex Ace Pro insoles to my court shoes for playing pickleball. 
And honestly, while I was incredibly grateful to that size 10 woman for loaning me a pair of shoes, it did cross my mind on the court. But these shoes don't have Curex insoles in them. Yeah, I'm devoted to them. Feel the Curex difference. Curex offers the largest line of sport activity specific insoles, including ones for soccer, hiking, walking, golf, hockey, and even one for folks who are on their feet all day in the workplace. Try Curex risk-free today. The company offers a 60-day warranty, even if the product has been cut to fit your shoes. Visit curex.us and use code AMR15 for 15% off a pair of Curex insoles. That's C-U-R-R-E-X dot U-S with code AMR15 for 15% off. Curex.us, that code again, AMR15. All right, our first guest is Jennifer Ollendorf, PhD, RN. She is assistant professor at the Marquette University College of Nursing. And I first met Jennifer virtually when she asked um, AMR to help her find pregnant runners for a study that she conducted. And um, as she continues her research in how to develop better ways for healthcare providers to coach women in their physical activity goals to achieve holistic health. Yes, I did not write that. Uh, I lifted that sentence from, from Jennifer somewhere. Um, Jennifer found the current theory doesn't include concepts like exercise as an identity. So Jennifer and I were emailing and we just thought it would make an interesting topic. So thanks for joining us, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. This is very exciting. I've been a, a fan for just a long time. And uh, as a researcher, as I hear women talk, I sometimes I'm thinking qualitatively about what we don't do well as healthcare providers. So it's just really exciting to be able to talk to you all about this. Good, good, yeah. good. Well, I, I love kind of these thought topics. So I always um, <laughs> am pleased when, when one of them presents itself to me. So, um, so before we jump into your professional realm, tell us about yourself as a runner and a triathlete. Yeah, so I actually was not much of an athlete as a younger person. I played you know, softball and uh, tennis in high school, but just very casually and then was really a theater nerd. Um, mm -hmm. So I danced. In we love day. those in this oh, house. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so lots of dancing, lots of singing, all of those kinds of things in high school. And uh, when I went to college, I started realizing that, uh, you know, the freshman 15 were a real thing. So I did a lot of aerobics classes and things like that. Mm -hmm. But then yeah. as I became a mom, first two times I had babies, the weight just fell right off. And then the third time, not so much. And uh -huh. I started to feel more sluggish. I was starting grad school uh, for the second time. And I needed like a goal. I needed something. And I had a baby who was having some feeding issues and just really felt um, probably depressed, but I didn't even recognize that at the time. Mm -hmm. So a friend posted this status on Facebook, running a marathon, who wants to run with me? And I, thought, I looked at this brace she was going to run and I'm like, I'll bet I could run a half. I knew nothing about running. I had done like some, you know, 50 yard sprints when I was in middle. So was 50 like, yard sprints, <laughs> half marathon, same difference. Yeah. Same difference. So luckily a good friend of mine, um, in the PhD program had been a runner and she's like, here, here's this. And I think it was a Hal Higdon training plan. Uh -huh. And I'm like, uh -huh. all right, I'm going to follow this training plan. And uh, life kept getting in the way. And I trained about 60% of the way that I should have <laughs> and uh, ran that half marathon. and was so excited about the accomplishment, but felt horrible afterwards. Uh -huh. um, yeah, <laughs> just sort of barely made it through. And so then I took a little time off because I thought, gosh, I don't know if this is for me. 
and then just kept getting drawn back into it. I had friends that were runners and I thought, you know, I just want to do that. So I completed some 5K and 10K winter series and then did another half marathon. And then a friend was training for this triathlon, the Iron Girl triathlon sprint distance. And I uh -huh. really started to find a love of that. So the first time I started training with a friend, she kind of bailed on me, but I did it anyway. I was so excited, but I did it alone. And the second uh -huh. time this group of women at my kid's school called the, the honeys, they're the moms <laughs> um, <laughs> at school, they trained together. And so last year I trained with them again for the same race and cut a half an hour off my time. And just, it was wow. so wow. much fun to do it with this group of other women. Um, and so I trained with them again this summer, but because um, work stuff got in the way, I didn't actually run the race, but just sort of keep getting looped back in mostly by friends and sort of by this idea that I finally consider myself like a runner, which is something that I kept seeing in the data. And then I saw it myself and thought, this is the <laughs> thing that keeps me wanting to run for a for life. And so I've had some injuries in the night, but I keep getting called back to it. And I think that's partly because it starts to feel like part of who I am now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, one final non-professional question, what are the ages of your four kids? Yeah. So I have a 15 year old sophomore daughter, Grace, and uh, a 14 year old son named Luke. And he just started cross country and he's mm -hmm. telling me definitely that running hurts. He's usually a swimmer, <laughs> um, but he's powering through. And then I have an 11 year old named Ruth and an eight year old named Lucy. Nice. Wow. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, I know that uh, you're a professor and a researcher, and I'm particularly interested in uh, the researching the physical activity that you're yeah. doing. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I started out at the beginning, I really was interested in, um, and re you know, the really good research topics that stick with you for a long time, we find that they tend to be personal. Mm. And so I... I had had a mom who during pregnancy had gained a lot of weight and was diabetic and then later on was diabetic in life and had a lot of health problems her whole life. And sometimes the things that would make me run were when she was in the hospital a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely wanted to start to understand what were like key windows of opportunity that we were missing as healthcare providers. Mm. We could really influence women's lives around these kind of health behaviors. And physical activity is probably the one I'm most passionate about um, because we can't go out and do it for them. We can't like put on women's running mm -hmm. shoes and like push them out the door. Uh, so are there things we can do in that like 12 minutes we have with them that might actually influence what they do when they go home? Um, and so we started talking about this. So I started looking into health promotion and there's not a lot around pregnancy that really has been studied. There's a lot of program things. Like if we go to a place where pregnant women are and we do a stroller program with them, we can make them exercise, but nothing that looks at what we do as providers in the office that might change what women do at home. And so this really started to become a passion of mine. And pregnancy is that time where you see your doctor, you know, every four weeks, every two weeks, every one week, you really start to trust them. Whereas the rest of your life, you tend to see them maybe once or twice a year. And so is this a window of opportunity where we can say, you're making this big life transition, let's make exercise part of it part of your, your transition to motherhood. Could that be that you also either adopt or don't stop exercise mm -hmm. that you've done in the past or find new ways really. So there's sort of three ways to look at it. So 
started doing some things around postpartum. And then now I've been piloting some coaching interventions during pregnancy. Can we meet, you know, have a nurse meet with someone three or four times during their pregnancy, send them reminders via text, um, help them set their own goals about things they might want to do. And does that uh, promote women to exercise more during pregnancy and possibly beyond than it is if we just sort of give them the pamphlet that says exercising is good for you. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then talk to us about the genesis of this study that incorporates exercise as an identity, because I think it's such an interesting concept. Yeah, it started out actually when I was meeting with women for my coach, my pilot study for my coaching thing, the women who came who already exercised when they started pregnancy would say over and over to me, this is the first thing they would say is I'm a runner. You know, how can I keep that up? Are there ways that I can Mm -hmm work this into my pregnancy? How can I do it even if I'm throwing up? And, you know, can I take a break and come back to it? And a lot of them were getting really outdated advice from either internet sources or even sometimes their providers about like, don't let your heart rate go up too high, don't do weight training, all these kinds of older things. And so I, but I kept hearing them say, I'm a runner and I don't want to lose that. And it felt really personal in a way that I don't think we always understand when we do a health history. We think, oh, well, if you have to stop for nine months, what's the big deal? You want your baby to be healthy, don't you? And I think that paternalistic way of looking at it really bothered me and it bothered them. And so I started to think about it a little bit more. So I really wanted to talk to pregnant women about what their experiences were. And that was the study that you helped me recruit for. And again, every single narrative, I would hear women talk about, I am a runner, and they would crave returning to running if they had to take a break, or they would, um, one of the, of course, most concerning findings was that they would hide from their providers if they were exercising more than they thought they should, because they just felt like it was part of them. They couldn't, they couldn't put it aside, Um, Mm -hmm. which as a provider makes you just very nervous, right? (laughs) That someone would feel like they had to hide that from them. Um, And so that theme kept coming out over and over again. And it actually really aligned with what I hear women telling you all every time I listen to this podcast, people talking about either I am a runner, it's a, you know, or really sort of, uh, you know, trying to figure out when it is they can call themselves a runner. Right, right. Or sort of almost almost backpedaling from the title. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or like, oh, but I only do right? Like I only do this or or I had to take a break because I was injured. So am I still a runner? And so I want to understand that a little bit more in different populations, you know, what sort of leads people to feel like they can call themselves a runner or an athlete. Um, And particularly in populations where I think women don't fit the mold. Um, Mm. So for earlier generations, maybe it always was this idea that women don't exercise or women shouldn't be too strong. And I think we've we've come a long way since then. But I still think there's sort of this feeling like, well, unless I've done a couple marathons or unless I'm really thin and fit a certain body type, unless I um, run 20 miles a week, you know, until I reach some sort of bar that I imagine for myself, I, I feel... I feel, you know, women feel hard to uh, actually say that they, that they're a runner, that they define themselves that way. And I think, I I think if I look at the science, we've got all this really great knowledge about how to get people started exercising, health promotion theory, but we really have nothing on maintenance. Mm -hmm. What keeps people doing it beyond the 12 weeks of a research study, beyond the six month follow up? And I think, and this is something I'd like to spend the next couple of years testing, is that it may be that the difference is people who adopt this as an identity are the people who are likely to be doing it longer than sort of that initial 
phase when you've made it a new, a new habit. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and another interesting piece I thought is we know that your research is also looking at the hurdles that larger women face and yeah. having healthcare professionals accept them as runners. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and this is another piece that uh, feels very personal to me because as I I would be, and you know, if you looked at my BMI, I'd fall into the category of obese, and so I certainly am not a thin person. And mm-hmm. so when I have gone in, one time I went in for a stress fracture evaluation, and the provider was definitely like, well, how much could you possibly be running? Like, it was one of those sort of things. Oh, and dear. you hear that from women a lot, not only just from people in their lives, but definitely from healthcare providers. We still, um, there's research that demonstrates all sorts of um, the fact that you can be overweight, you can even be obese, and you can be very cardiometabolically fit Mm -hmm. if you are participating in exercise regularly. And I think that's slow to really get in people's mindsets. For many healthcare providers, we were trained that if someone is overweight or obese, they're definitely unhealthy. Um, Despite the fact that we we can definitely see people who are thin who are unhealthier than people who are overweight, right? And so what I'd really like to do, again, there's almost nothing on this. Most of the research on women in running has either been on professional women runners um, or there's been a lot of like, how can we promote it? So this idea that no one really has ever asked um, overweight women, obese women, thicker women, curvy women, what their experiences are like when they show up on race day, what their, show, mm-hmm. what their, day, what their experience is like when they go in uh, to see their physician and they say, well, you've got to lose some weight. And they say, well, I already am exercising and they feel not believed, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Wow. Um, it's amazing that you in the profession still get it pushed back at yourself. It's Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a little concerning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so there is such a power behind embracing the mantle of, of runner as an identity. So what do you suggest for those hesitant women who are like, oh, I don't know, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't yeah. sit well on my shoulders, you know, that sort of thing. You know, how, how can they um, slip it on and be, become more comfortable in that identity? You know, I think, I think that's one that I still personally struggle with. But Mm. um, honestly, a lot of the things that you guys have talked about to get through those really tough miles, those moments where you have to have a mantra, or you have to have some sort of visualization about, you know, what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go, or sort of self-talk, this really positive self-talk. I think that kind of positive self-talk can help women in those other moments where they are feeling like socially, um, how is it that I can use this term to describe myself? I also, I coach students all the time, right? So nursing students, and they have to go in and do these these seemingly impossible things, right? Like give a baby their first shot in front of the mom or, you know, these <laughs> these things that are really like they, are, they can't imagine how they're going to do it. We do a lot of this sort of like picture yourself achieving the goal of going in there and doing it well, and then you just have to go in and fake it till you make it. And so I think the repetition of saying it loud, loud to other people mm-hmm. mean, you know, the, the times that, and probably safe people, figuring out who are safe people to say that in front of. Mm. So if I have good friends that I run with, say things like, gosh, I'm a runner and so I do this. I'm a runner mm-hmm. and so I really love this. The more you say that in front of safe people and get good responses back, the more you'll feel mm-hmm. comfortable just sort of taking that on as, as a label that you give to yourself. 
And then how can you sort of uh, moving forward start thinking of yourself as a runner during the rest of your life? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a lot of things. I think, again, that talking with other people about it and just using the term um, it be, so it almost becomes like muscle memory. Like I refer to myself hmm. as an athlete and that's how I think of myself. Um, I, you know, a lot of the way that women refer to themselves in social media becomes a very powerful part of themselves, especially probably for women who are 45 and below, or who knows, maybe even, even older. I think it's such a part of our lives that if you put just in your profile picture, you in athletic clothing, that's much mm-hmm. more likely for you to think of yourself in that way. I think there's a lot of ways we just can sort of build it into multiple parts of our lives. And I think for mother runners, um, sometimes hearing how your kids describe you after they've seen you (laughs) exercise a lot, you know, it's really interesting because um, there was something on TV about, about overweight women and my, my son who's 14, you know, um, was watching it with me. And I said something about it, about how, gosh, that really, that really hit me because it was about, um, maybe how this woman felt. And he goes, well, you're not, you're not overweight, mom. You're like a person who runs all the time. And so the way he sees me is different than I see myself. And so I think sometimes when our kids have seen us achieve these things, they're feeling really positive things about us that we don't feel about ourselves. So it might help to sort of every once in a while dip into their perception of you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to see I that like someone's it. like looking up to you and realizing that it's important for that reason too. Yeah. I love that phrase, dip into their perception of you. Yeah, 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 because they're usually uh, so much kinder to us than we are to ourselves. Isn't that the truth? And our spouses typically, hopefully, are also kinder to us than we are and our best friends. You know, so those kinds of things, if there's ways we can sort of let ourselves hear their perception of you, because I think Mm -hmm. they're often a lot kinder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. well, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on. And I, I sense that there are other topics that we could have you back on to talk about. This was a delight. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And thank you, Ellis, too. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. So uh, we know that um, listeners love to hear. Um, quote unquote, real life mother runners um, talking. So invited two of them on. And our first one uh, is someone I found when she nabbed a spot on this year's AMR Ragnar Relay Trail Team. Woo-woo! Summer Brown lives in Lake Charles, Louisiana, where she's a partner and a trial attorney at a law firm. Summer's also the mom of two daughters. So glad to talk with you, Summer. So glad to be here. Thanks. Uh, Summer, it's Ellison here. Tell us the ages, first off, of your two daughters. Okay, I have Allie, who is nine and in fourth grade, and Maggie is six and in first grade. Perfect ages. Um, And you told us that you were definitely not an athlete growing up. In fact, you took great pains to get out of running in PE class. We won't go there. But uh, then as an adult, you still didn't embrace athletics. So flesh out the details of your aversion to exercise. I didn't. And yeah, growing up, I um, particularly hated running. I was a dancer and, you know, I do believe that's a sport. But other than that, I avoided exercise at all costs. Um, My dad was a runner when I was growing up, which, you know, I just never I never got the bug. And I would try, you know, maybe once a year I'd get inspired to go out and try to run. And I don't think I ever even made it a mile before just giving up and walking back to my car. So um, I definitely never, ever considered myself a runner or even someone who would run. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. So but then um, 
In your Ragnar application, you detailed how it took a serious health scare and looming surgery to make you jump in. I would de- define it as with both feet into exercise. Um, so, so tell us that story. It did. I um, after both of my girls were born, I learned that I actually had had two vo- broken vertebrae that I was unaware of, and it was an old injury they said probably from childhood which not having been in athletics i'm not really sure how i hurt myself but um they told me that i was going to need a global fusion and it was going to need to be done like as soon as possible and in that moment i realized that um you know i wasn't invincible i guess and i was so afraid of not being okay after surgery that i spent the three weeks that i had before surgery exercising like a maniac. I mean, I exercised more than three weeks than I had in my entire life added up to that point. <laughs> and um, I put myself on two a days. I would, I would run, I would bike, I would swim, anything that I could do in the morning. And then again, after work to try to just be in the best shape I could be before going under anesthesia for that many hours. So, so what, like, you like then like hobbled around because you went from, you know, zero to 60. I mean, I would think your yeah. legs would be sore. <laughs> I don't think I ever gave myself time to be sore. I think I was so afraid that I just, I didn't, I just didn't stop. And I, uh, in fact, I got in such a good shape that my blood pressure dropped really dangerously low because of oh, the dear. anesthesia. I ended up having to stay extra days in the hospital because I had gotten myself in such good shape in such a short period of time. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh goodness. my goodness. So then how did you return to running after your surgery? You had a titanium cage in your back. Yes. And, you know, that was one of the first things I asked him was, um, was I going to be able to do, do things? Was I going to have any limitations? And the doctor said no. And so I did what he told me. And of course it was a slow return. I mean, it started with walking and then from there, um, I got on a bike and, slowly made my way back um and and in those weeks before surgery i had kind of realized you know maybe running is not so bad it it was sort of the only time that i could clear my mind of all the things i was worried about about surgery i realized the Mm. mental aspect of running at that point so that makes sense yeah and did you make any other health or wellness changes pre-surgery or since then along with the running I would just say that that since that diagnosis and surgery, I've just made it a point to be active every single day, if at all possible. Um, it, it just really changed my outlook on things, and I just try not to take my body for granted. The fact that I can go out and run, I feel like almost it's my obligation to go and do it because I can, because there are people that can't. Hmm. Yeah, and so it's been five years since your surgery, so it sounds like with that in your rearview mirror, you... You do things to, I'm assuming, to keep your motivation fired up, uh, especially since you had such a strong aversion to physical activity for many years beforehand. What do you do to sort of keep that motivation going? Well, apparently I sign up for races like Ragnar. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> have to train for them. <laughs> Smart. I, I've, uh, I really have just tried to keep a goal. Um, you know, I started, the first thing we did was um, I had a group of friends and we did a Spartan. And then um, I've done some other races in between there. And, and now I'm training for Ragnar. So as long as I've got something to keep working towards, I just keep myself doing that. Because I think it can be tough, you know, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, that you had a serious health scare and that 
I think that can spur people on for a little while. But I mean, is like, do you, when you feel your motivation kind of flagging, do you look at pictures from, you know, you in the hospital afterwards? Or I, I think it's so hard to keep something unpleasant in the forefront of your mind and use that as motivation. Especially running in Lake Charles, Louisiana, honey. I'm from <laughs> South Carolina and I know humidity <laughs> right. with it's a capital very H. Hot. <laughs> that is right. It is hot and humid. Um, <laughs> And I think more than anything, what motivated me with the surgery and what still does is it's my girls. Um, I just, I want them, at first it was just really to live for them, um, to to literally just be alive. But then after that, it was, I realized, I heard Jennifer saying before I got on about the way they perceive me mm-hmm. has become mm-hmm. so important. And especially with them being girls, I just want them um, to know that they can do anything they put their minds to and that trying things that are terrifying is okay because um that's just part of it that's part of the the fun of really experiencing life so they really are the ones that motivated me they're the ones that made me apply for the ragnar team (laughs) oh yeah i love that i love that Okay, so despite the Spartan races, um, mud and all, and the half marathons, and the fact that you have one of our Bammer keychains, um, I do too, I love mine, um, you wrote in your application that you hesitated to ever call yourself a Bammer or even a runner. And so why do you think that is, and do you feel you're on your way to getting there? I think so, and I think the reason is um, I work in a competitive field. I've always been competitive academically, even though I didn't do sports. And running, quite frankly, is just something I'm not really good at. I'm not, I'm five foot two. I'm not tall and lean. I don't run fast. But, um, so I think I've always hesitated to say I'm a runner in case somebody wanted me to prove it or wanted to race me. (laughs) (laughs) I realize now, um, the more I listen to the podcast and the more I just do this, that runners do come in all shapes and sizes and... Mm -hmm. Maybe after Ragnar, I'll call myself one. Oh, sunshine. I think... I think you're there. (laughs) (laughs) You got two votes on the West Coast. (laughs) All right. right. Well, good luck with your training, and um, thanks for sharing your story with us, Summer. Thank you, ladies. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So next up is Shannon Lewis, a single mom who lives in Middletown, Rhode Island, and who works as a systems director in the tech sector. So welcome to the show, Shannon. Thank you. Very excited to be here. Good. Well, I love your tweet. You tweeted, uh, running changed my life. I became a certified personal trainer and a certified running coach, not actively doing anything with either. Uh, My goal was to find the inner athlete in me after being a single mom for 14 years, ex-college athlete. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So talk to us about your evolution as a runner. Um, you, you, unlike our last guest, you were a student uh, athlete. Yeah, so um, I was always an athlete growing up. I really identified as an athlete. Um, just a little background. I was the first female all-star catcher on a little league team. So that was baseball. Wow. Awesome. Congrats. Um, thank you. Yep. So that was a big deal. Uh, yes. Kind of funny, little funny story there, though. I had to wear a cup because all catchers <gasps> had to wear a cup. Right. On. Well, you know, you don't want <laughs> your lady bits getting hit by that ball. Exactly. So, Are you no. still wearing it? <laughs> I do not. I do okay. not. Okay. So, uh, I, even at a young age, I thought that was pretty funny when the ump would say, Are you wearing your cup? And I had to, you know, hit it to prove I was wearing it. Oh, oh boy. Wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> times have changed, but um, I also uh, played um, on the boys' varsity soccer team in high school because we didn't have a girls' team at the time. Oh, wow. Um, and then I played four years varsity soccer in college. So, you know, I was a skier and I did other sports as well, but I really identified as a, you know, as an athlete. That was a big part of me. And then, um, you know, I had my son. I was married at the time. And then my ex left me pretty soon after my son was born and I became a single mom. Pretty much seven, you know, seven by 24. Um, even when he was around, he was kind of absentee and then he moved to the West Coast. So, you know, I, I wasn't a single mom who had weekends off or anything like that. So I, you know, 14, fast forward 14 years later and, you know, I was a couch potato. And my son started high school. So he played a lot of sports growing up. Um, but when he started high school, he started playing high school soccer. All of a sudden I had a little free time. And I just, you know, and I kind of did a little, you know, thinking about myself for once. And um, I realized that, you know, I really had lost touch of being the athlete. And that was something that was really important to me. Um, so I decided to run, which was kind of a little weird because I was not a runner. Runner Running was always something I just did to be in shape for soccer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like a lot of guests that you've had, you know, running was kind of the punishment, right? You don't mm-hmm. play well, let's do sprints. But mm-hmm. You know, I've been thinking a little bit about it. And I I think the reason why I chose running was it was something I could do on my schedule by myself. Like, you know, playing soccer, you have to get friends involved or it's Mm -hmm. on a schedule. Whereas, you know, running, I just put my shoes on, go out the door. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I hate to admit it, but when I first started running, I couldn't even run a minute. You know, Mm -hmm. I did the couch to 5K Mm -hmm. and it was embarrassing. You know, and I went out to the track, of course, where my son's soccer practice was thinking, you know, okay. Oh, boy. Yeah. Like, this is really embarrassing, right? So I did the couch to 5K, and you know, my goal was to run our our pie run, which was our Thanksgiving run out here. And I, you know, being the naive runner that I was, I thought it was a 5K. It was a five miler. Oh, <laughs> oh, well, better than the other way oh, around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a little bit of a shock, but you know, so I did the 5K. Um, well, actually, I ended up running their walk, which was a 5K walk instead of the five miler, but that's another story. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, I kind of was running off and on. Um, and at, at Christmas time, my mom was like, you know, what do you want for Christmas? And I'm a data junkie. I'm a, you know, a math science person, my background. And I thought, you know what? I really want a heart rate monitor because I think it would be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. So she got me one and I strapped it on and, you know, I had it hooked up to my phone and it was like every two seconds, slow down, slow down. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what shocked me was how high my heart rate was. Huh. I mean, it actually scared me. Like mm-hmm. I thought I was literally going to die and someone would be driving by and I'd be like the Wicked Witch of the West with my feet sticking out of a dick. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that really shocked me because, you know, once again, I was an athlete all my life. And how come I, I mean, when I'm talking high, I'm talking like averages about 180. Oh, so wow. a very yeah, you know. So um, I actually talked to a friend of mine who was a personal trainer at the time. Well, she still is, and she was like, "You need to basically reset your heart to be aerobic again." So she told me about the MAF method, which is basically it's a it's a sort of you know heart rate based training. Right. So I started doing that, and you know, once again, it was super embarrassing. I be and I when I run, I run in fluorescent because I want cars to see me. But it was like just the opposite. I'd be running like, please don't see me because I'm walking like, you know, so much. <laughs> but I finally kind of got over that, you know, and I did 5Ks. I've run a marathon. And I think it was the heart rate that really kind of got me into, you know, I'm a data junkie and just wanting to learn. I've always been someone mm-hmm. that has wanted to learn. You know, I've taken classes, uh, you know, whether it's a, 
a class on, you know, sports and psychology versus, you know, learning to surf. I'm always trying to learn something. Mm -hmm. So I really jumped in with both feet learning about kind of how the body reacts to just exercise and stress. And that was one of the things that surprised me the most was how much stress affects your heart rate. You know, I'd be out for a run and I'd start thinking about work and my heart rate would, just, you know, just mm. go through the roof. So mm -hmm. that really intrigued me. So that's kind of what got me started on, you know, becoming a certified personal trainer was just wanting to learn more about, um, about running and exercise and the body and how all of it, you know, affects your, your workouts. Yeah. Um, and, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just thinking that you brought up the part about being a personal trainer and a running coach, and I'm intrigued by uh, that decision, especially since it sounds like you don't have any intention of following any of those paths professionally, but does that kind of go back to you always wanting to learn and always wanting to know more? I think that's a big part of it, and I'll be honest, I mean, I would really would like to do something, but I feel like I have imposter syndrome. You know, oh, even though I, yeah. even though I've been running, you know, since, uh, you know, solid since 2011, I've done all the studying and everything. I don't know. I just feel like I'm still not qualified to like, you know, to, to put a plan out there, which I know I am, but you know how it goes. Matter of fact, yeah. I might end up calling you guys in on, you know, the, um, another mother, you know, answers and ask, mm. how do you get over the imposter syndrome? Um, but, you know, in the beginning, it definitely was not anything about a career change or anything like that. Like I said, I've always been a learner. I've, you know, I try to learn something new every year. And so I just, you know, really have jumped in, you know, feet first and just learning more about the body and exercising. Yeah, because um, immersing yourself in, in those uh, certification processes must have taught you so much about health, fitness, and wellness. And, and I'm assuming that that influenced some changes that you made in your life. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one thing is I, I have not stepped foot in a McDonald's since then. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, so, you know, definitely I, you know, I'll admit I am not the healthiest eater. Um, but you know, I definitely am making better choices in what I eat. Um, I try to eat a lot cleaner now and things, just simple things like, you know, I'll look at a chocolate bar and I'll say, Hmm, you know, that'd be about 45 minutes of running. Is it worth it? And some days mm -hmm. the answer is yes. Yeah. But most of the Good. time it's like, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. So just being more cognizant of what I'm eating, you know, trying to eat healthier. Um, and I think the biggest thing is it's given me grace. It's given mm. me grace to understand that you're going to have bad days. And, you know, like if my heart, if I'm out for a run, an easy run, and my heart rate, you know, is high, I'll start thinking about, okay, what other stressors in my life are going on right now that are cause, that could be causing this? And just giving myself grace as opposed to, oh, my God, I can't believe that I can't keep my heart rate yeah. down today, you know? So it's just, you know, really kind of opened my eyes, you know, on, on how it's really looking at it at, on the whole. Of everything that's going on in your life, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, take us back to your those um, you know your life as an only parent. It sounds like instead of um, single mom, even you know that it, it was kind of even a, a level of, above that in terms of um, going it alone. So how did that being that that only parent, that single mom, strip you of the identity that you had when you were in college? I mean, it sounds like you were somebody who like. Sports Illustrated must have profiled you in the front of their <laughs> magazine or something. So, so um, you know, I mean, because we all ha we all know that real life intrudes, and you know, but for a parent doing all the heavy lifting, that's a particularly tough. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think a lot of it, in all honesty, was the guilt. 
Mm. The guilt mm. of, um, you know, I never wanted to be a divorced parent. Mm. Uh, the guilt of choosing my ex who, you know, in my mind at least was, a, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into that. I just will say, let's just say it was not a great choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I feel like because I've, I, I was mom and dad, I mean, as you said, I did everything. Um, you know, there's no one to mow my lawn, to do the garbage, you know, I did it all. And, but I think it was just the guilt. So I felt, I think I overcompensated and really wanted to give my son's Jeremy, um, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, a stable life. I didn't want, he's very athletic too. I mean, he played on, you know, mul he was on multiple soccer teams. He played club soccer, travel hockey. I mean, he was on, at one time, I think he was on two soccer teams and two hockey teams. Wow. Um, so I really, I didn't want him to miss, I didn't want the excuse to be, you know, like, oh, I'm single, I don't have another partner, so you can't play hockey. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I just overcompensated. And I mean, you know, you guys have kids, right? I mean, how many, you know, single parents really are there on, you know, travel hockey teams and club mm -hmm. soccer? Not very mm -hmm. many. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think I would have been able to do that. Yeah. So I think I just kind of overcompensated. And, you know, and I loved it, you know, instead of, instead of, I think I kind of fulfilled a lot of that. Like I coached his teams. Hmm. Um, I managed his teams. Oh. I was on boards. Like I, you know, I was a treasurer on a couple of, you know, like the middle school board, the for sports, the high school board, the, our local club soccer. So I guess I was kind of filling a little bit of that need, not maybe the physical need of being an hmm. athlete, but maybe the, the, just being part of a team and right, you know, that right. part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, you know, and I honestly, you're, you're so busy. I mean, those years just are, are a fuzz for me, right? You know, I mean, you're just surviving, you know, um, and because I wasn't getting, you know, a break. And, you know, I do, I do remember, like, it really would bother me if my friends were like, oh, you know, I'm like a single parent. My husband does, you know, nothing. And you're like, well, you know what? He does do something, even if it's 20%. It's 20% more than mm -hmm. I'm getting right now. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, so it wasn't really until, like I said, he started playing high school soccer and all of a sudden it was like, oh, huh, I have two hours. And you know, I just felt like, wow, I really have put myself and no regrets. I mean, this isn't a what was me, no regrets. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I did what I did and I'm glad where I am now. And, but honestly, if I knew then and what I knew now, I would have prioritized running, which sounds crazy. My college teammates are going to laugh when they hear this because you know, <laughs> they still laugh that I'm a runner. They're like, you're not a runner. You hated running. But <laughs> it would have helped me so much through the stress mm -hmm. of the divorce, the stress of being a single parent. Um, I really wish that somebody had like, you know, forced me to go out the door. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you alluded to the to your um, the friends that, you know, had a partner there at home that that so you know, what is it you think that, what are some specific examples of challenges you, that you face that women runners with a spouse or a partner or even no children do not have to deal with? You know, I, Yeah, you know, I mean, I, in a sense, I just felt like that was like my daily challenge, right? Because there is nobody to say, hey, you know, I want to take a two hour run today. Can, you know, you watch the kids or even silly things like, you know, hey, we ran out of milk. Can you pick up milk on the way home? If we mm -hmm. ran out of milk, you know, I had to put my kid in the car seat and we had to go out and do it, you know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it was just that, and it, was, it wasn't like, um, you know, for me, it was just, it's constant, right? It's like, you never get that break. So for people who, you know, maybe they have a partner, but he goes, he travels, you know, a week, once a quarter or something, 
you know, you're being a single parent for a, a week, but then, you know, you have the rest of the time as a break. I never got that break. And I shouldn't say never. My mom helped out a lot, but it still, it wasn't the same. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I don't know if I can say a specific example because it just, it was, it was just like a constant. It just, you know, it's very tiring because you don't get that break. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and going back, uh, taking that and then going back to how you said you thought you were sort of an imposter, you know, it seems to me that you can look back at what you achieved and what you did all those many years. And, you know, I would think that would give you the impetus to throw away the imposter idea, <laughs> especially because I'm assuming that uh, you would be able to give advice to other mother runners, single or, or otherwise, as to how they can literally call themselves a runner. Yes, yes. You know, I mean, I have a lot of people who will say things like, oh, you know, Shannon, I wish I could do what you did. And I'm like, you can. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's I don't have a magic, you know, formula that I'm that's, you know, in my back pocket that no one else has. So, yeah. And I, you know, I love to talk about it. It, it has changed my life. I mean, not only did I find uh, an inner piece of me that was so important to me, but I lost I, I don't know how many pounds because I never jumped on a scale, but I would probably say 30 plus pounds. I mean, I think right now I'm at back, you know, at one point I was I weighed less than my college weight. Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't diet. So this, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not a dieter. Good. Um, so, you know, I just, um, I feel good. And, you know, I want to share that. I want to, sh it's, um, I actually did girls on the run for a while. I was oh, a great. coach for that because I wanted girls to feel the empowerment of running. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, just achieving a goal, setting a goal and achieving it. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's just, I mean, you guys know it feels great. Yep. And I think once you go back and listen to this podcast the in, in its entirety, uh, your imposter syndrome is going to be flushed down the drain. <laughs> I can hang out my shingle now. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, and are you training for anything right now, Shannon? Um, actually, yes. I'm training. If my knee holds up, I've actually had two surgeries on my knee. Um, I am training for marathon through the train like a mother plan the heart rate uh, level one marathon training awesome what so race? i'm pretty uh yeah so i'm pretty deep into that right now uh-huh which race uh, so that's, um the newport marathon in, oh, um over columbus day weekend so that was the one i did before but uh -huh. i am giving myself the grace that if my knee doesn't feel you know like it's up for it i'll jump to the half good Smart. move good move yeah yep. yeah all right. Well, it's been great talking with you, Shannon. And yes, toss that imposter. You, know, you are not. You are full-fledged runner. So, That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Good luck with your training. Thank you. It was great talking to you, too. All you right. Too. Bye, Shannon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, we got a new, we're back in the contemporary 2022, July. Welcome back. We have a new round of Simply Nourish Like a Mother that opens for registration on July 25th, 2022. This eight-week program led by beloved dietitian Ellie Kempton runs from August 8th to October 2nd, again, in the year 2022. This program systematically builds simple nutrition habits that build on one another and blossom seamlessly into your life. Along the way, you'll stabilize your energy, improve your digestion, and optimize your weight. For details and to register, again, starting July 25, 2022, go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on training in the top navigation, and there's a nutrition 
programs in the drop down and you'll find all the details there and can register starting July 25th. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. We wish Alex all the best in his new job. Many happy miles. Happy miles.